This is episode zero of the Angry Tech News podcast for Friday, September 3rd, 2021 at angrytechnews.com. I'm your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose, coming to you from America's left coast where tech fortunes are forged and used against you. This is a new show that I'm bringing, trying to put together a solo show together where I bring you some selected tech stories and then I rant about them. Uh, why episode zero, you might ask? Well, any good programmer knows that arrays indexed from zero and thus, as far as I'm concerned, so should good tech podcasts. Anyway, let's get to the news. From the Big Brother is Controlling You department, uh, China has come up with a new mandate where, from their National Press Publication Administration Department. Uh, I'm sure something's lost in the translation there. Kids under 18 are now limited to only three hours a week of video games. Um, if you, like me, are from America, this sounds tremendously oppressive, but maybe things are different in China. Um, so... Here's the way this works. Uh, way back in 2019, uh, you may recall, uh, China had introduced some restrictions on video gaming. Uh, they introduced, they, they banned all games for minors between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. They limited minors to a total of 90 minutes per day, three hours on a day on national holidays. Uh, they capped all microtransactions for minors at $28 or 57 per month, depending on your age. Uh, I can't say that's a huge problem. Microtransactions are pretty horrible when, when they take advantage of you, but every once in a while, you just got to get those new gold coins. Um, it also banned all sexual explicitness, goriness, violence, and gambling. Now I'm totally on board with wanting to play games that don't have that, but it rubs me the wrong way to ban all at a national level. Uh, There's got to be some Chinese people who have a libido out there and they're probably not thrilled. And the last thing that they did in 2019 was they required a real name for all online gaming accounts. Uh, To enforce this, they built a, quote, unified identification system run by the Ministry of Public Security to verify the identities of minors. Uh, Players have to give a national ID number when registering for an online game. And if that ID number shows up as somebody who is not yet 18, then the company offering the online game is required to block their access once they go over the limit or outside of hours. Um, Originally, uh, this was pretty easy to bypass, but companies like Tencent are now moving to check against a government database in real time. Um, You can still bypass this using fake or borrowed numbers. Parents often give their numbers to their kids. And there's a huge gray market for adult accounts. But overall, as far as China is concerned, kids are not playing video games outside of hours. Uh, The big change here is that now, instead of 90 minutes per day ever, kids are now, anybody under 18 is now not allowed to use an online video game service outside of 8 to 9 p.m., on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or national holidays. So if it's a holiday week, you get four hours per week. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, this is uh, the kind of thing that either is going to drive all gaming underground or is going to prevent any you know, kids from wanting to game. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe maybe video games have ruined a generation. These things happen. Um, the interesting questions that I had, of course, is uh, this obviously can only apply to an online game. Uh, are are people making offline games anymore? Are people making games where you download the software to your device or your PC and then you don't connect? Um, the, obviously, when you create an account, 
you have to give an ID number. But what if your video game doesn't require an account? Uh, there's no there's nothing in the articles that I read that seem to indicate that offline games are affected at all. So maybe that's good. The other question, of course, is enforceability, because as I pointed out, there is a huge gray market for accounts or at least account IDs that are linked to known adults who don't otherwise play and therefore are safe for your 12 year old to go get. Um, while I was doing this research, I ran across uh, a company called Nico Partners, who gives some really good pointers for writing games for the China market. And I really like the way this was listed. Uh, one of the let's see, they, they gave some pointers of how do you write games? Uh, well, the first is the paramount edict is that content regulations are there to promote unity and support the values of the Chinese government. So there you go. If you're not supporting the values of the Chinese government, you are not allowed to express yourself. Welcome to oppression. Uh, I it, it, it just bugs me. I'm not really a government fan in when it comes to restrictions like this. But uh, for going on, all text in the game must be in simplified Chinese. Uh, this has actually been a problem for some games which have been rejected for uh, popping up the words winner or attack or pow in English on the screen. So if you if you attack and suddenly the word attack pops up in English, your game can be banned. So you have to translate everything, including the the damage text uh, loot boxes must include the real probabilities. I don't have a huge problem with this other than it's it's overbearing regulation. It's loot boxes are, are one of those ways that that a lot of of shady gaming companies have really started to hurt people lately i think that the the people who give in to loot boxes and spend a ton of real money on their loot boxes are probably not the well they're not doing themselves any favors and, and need to get over this desire to gamble because that's what loot boxes are whether you're in a video game or not you are gambling and when when a game company offers you real or to spend real money to get some kind of in-game loot box for a chance of getting something, well, the least they can do is follow every other gambling regulation in a Western country and tell you what the probability of winning is. Oh, it's really a one in a million. Oh, it's actually zero because we don't have the code in to give it because we figured in 20 years of people opening loot boxes, they would never probably get the grand prize so it's actually zero but we'll tell you it no no that's that's shady as f so let's see uh oh here's one dead bodies must disappear quickly and uh you're not allowed to have any blood pools the chinese government is planning on clamping down on gore in video games now i'm actually kind of okay with that too it's not critical for me to be in a first person shooter and wading through dead bodies but uh Video game companies, I mean, Western games are pretty damn gory and and kind of disturbing. And I understand the need to clamp down on that. At the same time, um, I've played a lot of these games and and I'm not I'm perfectly well adjusted, as you can probably tell. I think it's overboard. I think I, all of these are, you know, these are if, if you want to make a successful game, if you want to make a good game, maybe you want to cut back on the porn. Maybe you want to cut back on the gore. But mandating it at a national level, that's rough. Uh, there is a global limit on the number of games approved per year. Uh, they are not allowing any low quality or copycat games. They're not allowing any poker or mahjong games. They're not allowing anything with overly obscene or immoral content and no, quote, imperial harem games, which is apparently a genre I was not familiar with. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, if a game fails review three times, it cannot reapply. So you got to be you can't just do the Apple method and throw it against the wall over and over again. Uh, and the last one I thought was odd. No in-game marriage was allowed. You are not allowed to commit to other people because in China you have to commit only to the state. Um, only 1,385 games were approved in 2019 based on these restrictions. And uh, if if you know anything about the mobile market, uh, 1,385 games hit the Android store every five minutes. So that's that's pretty low. Um, and then finally, any mobile games must include anti-addiction systems. These aren't uh, really well spelled out, but I think it ties into the government database of people. Um, then they also say that web only, quote, mini games and HTML5 games also require a license. I'm not sure how that's re- enforced, but I bet if if somebody reports it, then you. So the news here is that China has tightened their updates. If you are under 18 and in China, you are no longer allowed to play video games outside of these specific hours. But these restrictions have been getting steeper and steeper. And if you're in China and you happen to be clever, you can probably find the person who's going to give you that sweet, sweet adult ID number that you can cross reference with the online database. But just don't get caught. So from the social media cesspool department next story, Reddit has banned r slash no new normal. No new normal was a place on Reddit for people skeptical of the lockdowns and pandemic propaganda to get together, share stories. Um, Part of the new normal being pushed by the establishment is uh, what what I'm going to describe as vaxist coercion. Um, That is part of the new normal. And therefore, if you're in a subreddit dedicated to the no new normal, uh, it was also a place for people skeptical about the current batch of covid jabs to share their stories and give advice. And uh, if you know anything about the way social media has been these days, where the narrative from the official government program, the narrative that comes from Mark Zuckerberg and from Twitter is all. And if anybody says anything that uh, disagrees with that narrative, it's got to go away. So Reddit has decided to ban the sub sub. But of course, I had to go deeper. Um, So I was trying to figure out on on what what grounds did they ban this? Well, okay, let's start with June 2019 when Reddit had updated their content policy. They've had a lot of updates to content policies in the past where uh, they've pretty much said, uh, yeah, if we anything that we decide is harassment, we can ban you for. And they, I mean, they've been doing it, but they kind of updated their policy. Um, in June 2019, one of their po- updates said that they will uh, ban any subreddit based on well, frankly, subjective and unclear criteria um, among the quotes, communities and users that incite violence or promote hate based on identity or vulnerability will be banned, which is not well defined. Um, they require that all users post authentic content or you can be banned. Uh, if anybody out there has a definition of what authentic content is, I just imagine appealing that saying, no, no, this content was authentic. I really wasn't trolling. I actually hold these opinions. How do you prove that either way? Well, Reddit has in their terms of service, they can ban you. Um, and uh, just another fun thing that they pulled out. Is, this has been in for longer than 2019, but they say do not cheat or engage in content manipulation. Um, what that means exactly is is up for grabs. But I know that uh, one of the buzzwords that gets p- passed around on Reddit is uh, brigading, where you 
Well, the, the, the informal definition, it's not formally defined anywhere, although it is against the terms of service. The informal definition is encouraging people to visit another subreddit for the purpose of spamming them with either votes or posts or otherwise manipulating their content in it's, it's kind of getting together and, and being, uh, doing what you do on Reddit, going somewhere and, and, and expressing your opinion, but as a group is, is technically against the rules. Again, poorly defined. Well, um, and, oh, and the other thing they did during June 2019 is uh, they they added a category on the report form. This is a technical thing that that the category says this is misinformation, which means you can now uh, take any post on Reddit. Every single post, every single comment has a report button underneath it. You can report it for this is spam. This is harassing. This hurt my feelings. And they added one. This is misinformation. And if you report that, then theoretically a moderator or somebody looks at it and says, oh, well, of course, in my expert opinion, because I am an expert on all things and the end all be all, or I looked at Snopes and decided that their fact checking is is not totally unbiased, then they decide to remove it based on whether or not it has what they consider to be misinformation. Now, practically speaking, it means that the moderators and admins, of course, Look at the misinformation tag and say, do I agree with this or not? Oh, I agree with it. It's good. It'll stay. I disagree with it. I'll delete it. Such is the nature of human moderation in a pace that completely lacks freedom of speech. Well, last week, a number of mods of high profile subreddits coordinated an effort. And it turns out because of the way Reddit is, Reddit's big uh, subreddits are very incestual. There's a group of maybe 40 or 50 mods that control 60% of the entire site because they just happen to get in and become end up on the mod team of a lot of big subs. And it's it's a well-known problem among Reddit. So it didn't take very many people to do this, but a number of mods got together and shut down to a, in 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 Reddit parlance they took private a very large number of subs. The idea was that they wanted to protest that no new normal and other anti-vaxxer subs exist. Uh, they demanded that Reddit ban these subs before all of the other subs like r slash Star Trek, for example, was not going to be visible to anybody outside of the mod team. And, and I'm not exactly sure if private involved, like it, it, it might be some, but, but casual observers would no longer be able to see r slash Star Trek until the demands were met and Reddit would ban the no new normal because they were spreading vaccine misinformation. Well, uh, a Reddit admin who goes by the handle Worst Nerd, who claims to be in charge of the security team, took the bait and posted an analysis of COVID denial. And if that doesn't sound biased right off the top, I don't know what is. The, the phrase denial is definitely an emotionally charged phrase, but he, worst nerd, decided that he was going to ban no new normal for, quote, breaking our rules against brigading. Now, one thing that I know for sure, I, I've never spent much time in banned subreddits. I never read the Donald while it was around, uh, except when somebody linked me to it. But one thing that you see the moment you get there and all the pinned posts, all the stuff is that the mods know damn well that they are targets for banning and they scream, do not brigade, do not Tell people to go anywhere else. Do not go and visit any other sub if you post here and say your opinion, because it will come back and it'll get banned. So people are are very keen to the idea that you don't brigade. Well, so nobody official asked anyone to brigade, 
But that doesn't matter because brigading can be anything. If they detect two different people go in and downvote the same post in another subreddit, they can decide it's brigading. It's impossible to verify since Reddit doesn't publish this data. We're just supposed to trust the admins. No. So it's a poorly defined concept. Um, the d- additional thing that Worst Nerd did was quarantine 54 additional quote. And this is a quote. We quarantined 54 additional COVID denial subreddits under rule one. Uh, again, with the charged biased language, COVID denial subreddits. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the list that wasn't in the description that the moderators of those reddits put up, but that's okay. That's how the admins see it. And their rule is law. Rule one, by the way, is the hate speech rule. They have decided to quarantine a bunch of subreddits that are skeptical of the jabs based on apparently spreading hate speech. We're not sure how that is. Uh, however, Worstner did clarify it turns out that there's no rule against speaking out against the narrative. Don't worry, there will be. Their Reddit will have another another terms of service update. But here's a quote. We have long interpreted our rule against posting content that encourages physical harm to include posting falsifiable health information. We people are at the top of a very slippery slope. If if they have decided that posting something that the official government mandate or the official government propaganda says is false somehow equates to encouraging physical harm. This means that saying, hey, I got the jab and it made me sick is now in Reddit's eyes on the same terms as please go kill yourself. Okay, nice work, Reddit. So the official policy on Reddit is trust the mainstream sources. They actually said that. Um, They have no comment as to what they do when those sources disagree, such as the fact that Reddit is technically an international site. There are different countries with different sources. Um, You can assume that they probably go by whatever the U.S. and California governments say because Reddit is a Silicon Valley company. So to be clear, Reddit does have a specific rule against disrupting Reddit for your own political purposes. A nest taking your sub private to push your own politics that that would pretty clearly break that rule. But. Obviously, it's not enforced when it's for a cause the admins agree with, only when it's for a cause that the admins of Reddit disagree with. Congratulations, Reddit. I did. I abandoned that site four years ago. I didn't think that it could get any worse, but they keep digging. Next story from the Internet of Useless Things Department. Samsung is going to remotely brick stolen TVs that were stolen from their warehouse during riots in South Africa. Uh, riots started in on July 8th in uh, KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. Three days later, the rioting had expanded to include Samsung's warehouse in Cato Ridge. On August 24th, Samsung had announced that any TVs that had been stolen from the warehouse will be remotely bricked if they ever connect to Wi-Fi. The quote given by the Samsung representative the Samsung television ship with a TV block app, which connects to Samsung servers the minute an Internet connection is available. The device reports its serial number, and if it matches a list of missing hardware, all television functions are killed off remotely. This was uh, Representative Mike Van Leer, Director of Consumer Electronics at Samsung South Africa, saying this. I believe him. I'm uh, I'm particularly concerned about the fact that Samsung ships with a a device that says that Samsung can remotely brick your TV. Of course, uh, TVs 
Samsung has not announced that they they have said that they will not be breaking TVs if they're stolen from legitimate customers, only if they were stolen from the warehouse, uh, which seems a little bit disingenuous, given that home robbery is the number one crime in South Africa. Uh, South Africa Department of Statistics estimates that 5.3 percent of all South African households were robbed in 2019 or 2020. Five, one in 20 people had their house broken into and robbed. People are stealing these things. But Samsung's not going to remotely brick if they were stolen from your house. Samsung's only going to remotely brick if it was stolen from the Samsung warehouse. Nice work, people. Way, way to fix those optics. Uh, another quote, in keeping with our values to leverage the power of technology to resolve societal challenges, we will continuously develop and expand strategic products in our customer electronics division with defense-grade security, purpose-built with innovative and intuitive business tools designed for a new world. What the hell does that mean? Other than, uh, hey, we've put in code that makes it so that we can kill the product you paid for, but it's an intuitive business tool. It's innovative. It's it's defense grade security purpose built with it. Uh, OK, Mike Van Leer, you are you are more spokesperson. I, you, I, I don't want to listen to you anymore. Although he goes on, this technology can have a positive impact at this time and will also be of use to both the industry and customers in the future. No. Samsung notes that your service can be restored if you provide a valid proof of purchase and a TV license. Um, so I guess there's that. If if you get your TV bricked, but you did buy it and you remembered to keep the receipt, then you can go take hair hat in hand and go to Samsung. Okay, go, hey, can I please get... Can I please have some my TV back? And they can unbrick it. So I guess there's that. Uh, I'm okay with preventing stolen TVs from from connecting online. It, it, it's it, the smart TVs are they are a device that is connected to a service these days, and you should not be as a company should not be obligated to provide a service to somebody who is very very clearly not a paying com customer. I'm not okay with destroying something somebody has remotely. And uh, you, you can argue, but, but, but Sir Bemrose, ha, it's stolen, so they don't deserve to. Yes, but Samsung sold 50 million units last year. Well, there's a chance they made a mistake. Let's assume that their database is 99.9% .9 accurate. Uh, it's probably better than that, but let's just say 99.9% .9 accurate. There's one in a thousand. TV, you know, 999 and a thousand TVs are they've got that right in there. But one in a thousand, which, by the way, is far, far worse, lower odds than the chance of your TV being stolen in South Africa. That still means 50,000 TVs a year are subject to the algo and could just be shut off because Samsung, because somebody was keying database numbers into a database and fat fingered the number and got your number instead of a stolen one. I'm not comfortable with that. Samsung does gain points for having the appeal system. Usually when a, a huge corporation get, puts you at the mercy of an algo like this, there is no appeal. See also Google. But the problem I have is that this is really messing with uh, something I still hold dear called the first sale doctrine. If you're well, let, let me put it this way. If your product phones home to find out if it should function today, then it's not your product. You may have given money for it. But you didn't buy it. You you can't. It, I, I just here's where I worry. And, and I worry because I've seen this with Microsoft and game console information uh, where uh, you can't resell 
a game anymore because when you get a game for Xbox is the one that I know it is tied to your online account. And if you ever sell that, you, well, you can't sell the digital games at all, which is almost all of them these days. There is no ability to resell what you have. And again, first sale doctrine, first sale doctrine says if you pay money for a product, that product is yours and the company has no right to control what you do with it. Uh, that means that you can modify it, you can take it apart, you can change it, and most importantly, you can resell it. Big digital Silicon Valley companies are getting around the first sale doctrine these days because they're not giving you a product, they're giving you a license. And sometimes that license comes with a piece of physical hardware, which is technically still belongs to the company because you haven't bought the product, you bought the license. Well, I say don't pay money for products that are not going to be yours. Don't give people money for something that they are going to continue to control indefinitely. And you're only renting, you're only borrowing, whether it be a, an Xbox game or a Samsung TV or a John Deere tractor, just stop doing business with the companies who are going to charge you full retail price for a piece of equipment and then say, oh, but actually I own the equipment, not you. And I can remotely shut it off if for any reason we decide that we don't like you. Uh, sorry, big Silicon Valley companies already have a little too much control. And once you get into this, they have all the control. The only option that you have at the low level where you are is to not do business with them. So what are the alternatives to plugging in your Samsung TV? Oh, something I forgot to mention is, of course, if you never if you steal a TV from the Samsung warehouse and they end up putting you on their brick database. If you never, ever, ever connect it to Wi-Fi, well, they can't brick it, can they? But alternatives to plugging in your TV and giving your TV an Internet access. You can go with a Roku, a Chromecast, a game console, an old laptop, an old Android or an old iOS device, or pretty much anything that can connect to the Internet and output an HDMI signal. Netflix runs on all of these. So if that's what you want, it works. Disney Plus, Amazon, that CBS Star Trek woke network. I don't remember what it's called. If you and if you don't have any of those sim systems, all of which will run on your old laptop, they'll run on your game console, they'll run on your Roku, then screw it. Just install Plex, which is a, a great system. We don't actually encourage piracy on this show, but uh, we we also don't aren't, aren't going to chastise you for using the most convenient method of getting your content. And our last story today from the technology versus you department. ThreatPost reports noted air gap researcher Mordecai Guri has created a proof of concept. I love this one, which allows special software running on an air gapped computer. Uh, if you're not aware, an air gapped computer is a computer which has absolutely no metal connection uh, with the possible exception of power, but but no network connection at all to the Internet, to any other computers. It is running completely in isolation, does not have a web stack. The idea is that you use an air gap computer to test malware. You use it to to test things that you don't trust. You use it to secure very important things. Like if you have your computer as a controller for a nuclear power facility, you really don't need that connected to the Internet. And you're a lot safer if it's not. So that's what an air gap computer is. Uh, however, if somebody, uh, say, by USB key or some other way can get this special software, this proof of concept onto an air gap computer, 
The technique used is to pulse the PC memory bus at 2.4 gigahertz per uh, gigahertz using a very carefully timed set of input read and write operations to transmit a weak Wi-Fi signal. With the proof of concept, Guri was able to transmit data at 100 bits per second with a correctable error rate about 8% across a distance of 180 centimeters or about six feet for us stupid Americans. Because uh, (laughs) this is is scary. You don't even need a special receiver for this. It just, if the software is on it, it turns your memory bus into a Wi-Fi antenna and you can get data out. That's uh, when you're air gapping your computers pretty soon, you're going to need to put them into a Faraday cage because otherwise any, any, all you need is a Wi-Fi access point and it's on the internet. Now, because of the precise timing of input and output operations needed, this attack can be foiled by running a high CPU and memory load. That would slow down the the system. It would slow down the memory bus. It would disrupt the signal by changing the frequency, make it so that a Wi-Fi access point can no longer recognize it, as well as drowning it in electrical noise. So an idea that I had when I read this story, I like the story, was that a great way to do this would be by mine Ethereum or Bitcoin on your PC. That way you can uh, screw up the timing of this attack by loading the CPU, loading the memory bus, and make me make some coins along the way. Of course, now that I think about it, to turn in these blocks does require an internet connection, which kind of defeats the purpose of an air gap. So my plan has some issues to work out, but I think the idea is sound. Well, this has been episode zero of the Angry Tech News podcast, soon to be at angrytechnews.com. I hope you liked it. I have been the Angry Programmer with Mike, Ryan Bemrose. I hope you enjoyed the show.